today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, is not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the road to the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles. Happy birthday to Jimbo Baggins. Mm. It's his birthday today. 63 is what he said. And we just told everybody. I don't he's know. a socialist now. Yeah, because he's getting all he's of the... The, you know, he's on the... He's on the drip. Yeah. That's what he said. He said he's pro-socialism yeah. at this point, mm-hmm. which is the time to get into socialism. Like Socialism isn't actually that bad at the very beginning if you can actually get in front-loaded. Yeah. yeah, and once you get on the, you know, like, you know, the old people income, it's, it's like, that part's pretty good, too, it seems like. So, I mean, <laughs> so uh, until, until, as history will show, in many countries at least, not this one yet, where they come and kill you because you're old. Well, it's just because it hasn't been tried the right way yet. Right, I know. Yeah, uh, we have Deacon obviously, Harrison. Obviously, obviously, that's been the problem. <laughs> yes. They didn't just do it. They didn't do it quite right. right. This is an interesting start. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate this. this yeah. yeah, welcome, Deacon. Socialism isn't that bad. Quote Adam Minahan. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's a good start to the episode. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, as he drinks. Yes. So we have Deacon Harrison Garlic here with us, in-house counselor. No. Uh, counsel. Yeah, counsel. Sometimes a counselor, but mainly mainly just counsel. counsel. Yes, yeah. and. Uh, Lord Chancellor of the Diocese of Tulsa and Eastern Oklahoma. Uh, it is great to have you here, Deacon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We had another episode not uh, not too long ago, I don't know how long ago, but not too long ago, on the defense of erotics. We did, yes. Which is really awesome. Which mm-hmm. is great the defense episode. of erotic love, yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, I just realized that we, I did not change the YouTube heading, but that's okay. Um, I just got back from... Uh, hunting. Yes, how'd it go? It went really well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, our friends over at Remnant Ranch down in southeast Oklahoma invited us out. Don't say our friends. I'm not friends with them. I don't know those guys. I want to be friends with them. Yeah. Um, they're, they're wonderful You're guys. like bogarting the friendship with those guys over there. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry you about are. that. You are, okay. Apologize. They're my friends, if that counts. Yeah. Work on it. All yeah. right. Our, as in us two, not you. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's better. That makes me feel so <laughs> yeah. much better. Now that you really want to play this out. That's right. Yeah. But they're good people. They're solid mm. people. They seem great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we went out there and Jude, so they have a lot of property and, and one of the things to be able to, uh, basically like keep the herds at, at the population of deer at the right levels. Cause if it gets too, uh, overpopulated disease sets in, it's not good for, yeah. you know, the overall environment. So they're able to call uh, X amount of deer per year off their land that doesn't hit against your tags, but it can only be, uh, an, uh, basically doe. Uh, so anyway, we were out there. It all tastes the same. It does all taste the same. That is not accurate, but go ahead. Yeah, it pretty much is, though. Well, if it's all ground up, it didn't really matter. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but Jude got his first deer uh, while we were out there, which was awesome. Uh, it was very cold, uh, a Saturday morning, and he was he was ready to call it pretty quick. You know, being out there for a couple hours, and he was he was he was cold. When you're sitting like on a tree, mm-hmm. it's cold. It just is. That's the coldest place in the world. And you know? he was he was sitting there, and he, I was like, "No, bud, let's let's stay for just a little bit longer. Let's give it another thirty minutes, and then we'll reassess." And he's like, "Okay." And we see a couple of bucks come out, which is kind of good because it distracted us, yeah. You know, from from it being cold. They left another, and then basically we were about to call it, and all of a sudden, about two hundred yards out, maybe two hundred fifty yards out, I see what I what I'm pretty sure is a doe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because uh, it could be a spike or something like that. And, and a little yearling. And they come walking out, and I'm like looking at them, and I'm like, Jude, I, I, I think this is a doe. And they come all I mean, the if way. there's a yearling, it's it, yeah. it's probably a doe. Right. And so I'm having him look through the binoculars, you know, checking it out, you know, trying to see if it's a doe. And he's like, yeah, Dad, I think it's a doe. And the doe stops about 85 yards out, 86 yards out. And I'm like, okay. And all I have is, I have my 308. 86. Yeah. It's the rangefinder. Oh, you had a rangefinder. That's what it says. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so I was wondering, like, I was very wow. You have very specific. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes so sense. I have, a, I have a 308. It's a full size 308. I mean, it's not snubbed. I mean, it's it's a full 308. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, bud, here it is. Like, find it, look at it. Like, let's make sure. So he wasn't using that blackout. No, because Luke was using that one. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, shot it, uh, dropped it. He spined it in the face. Nope. No. He spined it. Um. And so paralyzed, it went went straight down. First deer, he was super pumped. Awesome. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Way to go. And then Luke caught a, a, a massive catfish, probably like, you know, 15-pound catfish. Um, I actually, I don't know. I don't know how much I weighed, but it was, it was really big. 15 pounds is a big fish. Um, and he got several, like, really big bass. So, I mean, it was it was just a, it was an awesome weekend. Awesome. So going back to the Jude, like, was that the moment as a father that you, you really wanted, like, he shoots the deer. He's just, I mean, was he just wide-eyed, excited? Yeah. I mean. And he was like, Dad, I'm shaking, but I don't think it's because I'm cold anymore. <laughs> you know, like, you could tell, like, he was super right. excited, you know, right when he shot it. You know, like, he hugged me. He was, Good. like, you know, uh, kind of teary-eyed. Like, he was just, you know, the emotional overload. You yeah. Know? That's an um, emotional moment, too. It really I mean, is. One, not only, yeah. like, all this culminated, right? Hunting is a lot of singing around in the cold, being bored with short moments of terror, right? Of just like, okay, now I've got to like act and get a good shot. Right. Plus like you actually want to be ethical. You want to take that to your life in an ethical manner. It's your child. So you're like, please God, like let this be a good shot, particularly on the first one because you don't want to be tracking it right. for like half a day. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, you wounded it and it's like go off and suffer and die somewhere. Congratulations, <laughs> son, right? So yeah, no, it's beautiful to hear because I think that that's, that's, you see that reaction in them. And then like, did he go through the process of field dressing it with you like the whole no, process uh, we didn't field dress it so we we, we uh 
put it back on a UTV and, and took it back because they had a whole like setup with a uh, inside their their shop with a drain at the bottom with a winch and pulley. So like yeah, it's a nice setup. Yeah, so it's a super nice setup. So you you know you can lower and raise the deer however you want. And I mean if they're if they're having to process a whole bunch of deer, that it, that makes sense to have. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So but, yeah, I mean he did that with you though, right? Yeah, he was out there with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's you great. Know, he's still a little. You know, he's just turned nine. Um, I don't trust him fully with with sharp like razor sharp. Yeah, knives. yeah, you can definitely. That's actually like, where most guys end up hurting themselves. Yeah, when you yeah. got two hands in the deer, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you end up in these situations, you know, where you got both hands in there, and one of them has a sharp knife, and 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 you know, you use those those uh, replaceable blades, you know, that are like razor sharp. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, he helped, but it was. But I mean, not. Yeah, I mean, not putting like weight on like who did what. But I think right. that's part of the first experience, right? Is then actually taking. You got to get your hands game. dirty yeah. too. Yeah, and you're taking that animal from the field to the table, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's part of the the benefit of teaching young men to hunt. Is like, okay, so tonight when we're gonna have this backstrap, right, or we'll have this roast, like you know how much work actually went into yeah. like providing. And also, I think that there's a lot of things, particularly with you know boys his age, of like. I provide I provided dinner for my family. So, but he said that because, like, while we were in the stand, he he and like his emotions were kind of settling a little bit. He goes, "Dad, I'm just so happy because you know n- now we'll have more food on the table." <laughs> you know, that's like what he like, that was his like. He was just excited. He realized like, okay, I'm pr- I'm providing meat. That's you know, beautiful. I'm providing. Food. It's kind of a weird thing for a nine year old to say, but yeah. you know, like. You think? I, I think it's part of the process. I had a buddy who's. It is kid. no. It's a good realization yeah. and like good understand. Good to have an understanding of all that. Mm-hmm. You know. But well, I think if they grow up like like your boys have, where you see dad hunt, you see dad bring home deer, and process them, I think then to like step for them to step up into that, I think is, yeah. is a beautiful father and son relationship. I mean, my three year old is still convinced that any meat we eat in the home, dad killed. Mm-hmm. Right, he still doesn't have a process. Yeah, of like there's no reason to really like because that's like quickly what change his mind there. Right, yeah, I mean, that's what he's like, seen. I'm right? not going to disabuse him of that. Right, right. I mean, I claim it. Like, yes, son, that Taco Bell is from me. <laughs> yeah, I, I killed it. I killed that with my credit card. <laughs> Swift death. Thank you, son. I appreciate yeah. it. Enjoy. Eat every bite. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a, it was really cool. Well, I had the opportunity yesterday to go help a friend. We uh, slaughtered two pigs. Had, oh, really? Yeah, he has uh, some cooney pigs, and so we. We slaughtered two of them yesterday. Did you have to do the whole, like, you dunk them and everything? Yeah, you yeah. Them yeah, yeah. That's Absolutely. a lot of work. Yeah, it was. I mean, two pigs, that was, like, six hours. And, neat, neat, like, there were, like, three of us. Juan, Juan was there. Um, and our uh, efficiency wasn't as high as it could be, right? I mean, like, we could have certainly done things faster and, like, been more sequential in the way we did things. But, you know, we got it done and did mm. it. We did a good job, and you have any extra it, fat? I'm looking for some. It was well, he did. I mean, yeah, that back fat's actually really good to mix with that venison. Yeah, uh, well, and the, with the pigs, they've got this leaf fat on the inside. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, good it's just it's it was like white as snow. It's just like gold. Oh, that is good. You know, as you guys know, uh, you know Juan is just kind of everywhere, right? He just kind of haunts things and shows up. And yes, like that. And so because he was also cooking dinner at the place I was. Yeah, he just shows just up. Now. I think there's only one of him, but I'm not quite sure because right. he just he appears. Um, sometimes we conjure him. He could walk in. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. So anyway, but like uh, the game warden called me the other day and had a doe that broke her neck jumping over a fence. And so I went to pick her up and brought her to the home. Sent out an email. Do you want to come help? Juan shows up. Yeah, like in like ten minutes. Right. He just, just he, you know he, he lives thirty minutes away, but but somehow he's here in yeah, ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a good man. I like him. Uh,
All right, so when we get back, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a, an article that, that Deacon wrote. But we'll we'll have a little surprise ahead of time before we get in, into that article. A little announcement. All right, we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Nick with Exodus, and I want to invite you to consider joining us for a 90-day spiritual exercise, which you may have heard of before. It's called Exodus 90. And if you've ever thought, man, I uh, I really am on my phone a lot, or man, I probably take work too seriously, or I drink a lot, or maybe there's a lot of other things that you think like, man, I should probably cut back on that. I'm not very present you know, to my family, to my wife, um, even at the end of the workday. I want to invite you to come check out Exodus 90. Go to startmyexodus.com. We start January 1st. And this is really all about growing in your faith, growing your prayer life, and being more present to those around you so that you can become the man that God has created you to be. Startmyexodus.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. With Adam Minahan, our special guest, his lordship, the Archdeacon, Harrison Garlic. Thanks, David. If we had more titles we could use, we would use them. Good deacon, but I can't think of any. So. That's fine. You did a great job. Appreciate it. We didn't even talk about what we're drinking, which is fantastic. Well, and also, just to let you guys know, if you're listening on the Catholic Radio or podcast, if you are ever interested in a horse and lasso turkey tournament, yeah, count should, me in. you should go to YouTube, because Dave gives a whole spiel about his uh, horse and lasso turkey idea. I have ideas. So, yes, but let, let's let's talk about this. This is, Ard, this is Ardbeg, which we've had many times. Big fans of Ardbeg. Uh, however, this is Heavy Vapors. It is a special committee-only edition from 2023. Heavy Vapors will rise, is, is what it says. So it's uh, 50.2 ABV, and it is delicious. It is very... Mm. I, I don't think it's very easy to, to get. Um, but It's fantastic. I mean, it's, a, it's, on the, it's on the expensive side. Would uh, you say it was like 200 bucks? It's about $200, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that is an expensive bottle of whiskey. Yeah, but it is really good. It's very very light colored. It's, I mean, it's almost like it's even lighter than the Ardbeg Ten. Ardbeg uh-huh. Ten is already very pale. But there is it says it's you know it talks about dark chocolate, sharp peppermint, um, powdery cinnamon, a little menthol, some earthiness. So. It- you know, it's very, it is, it has a lot of similarities clearly in the Ardbeg family, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you would know when you tasted this, like, that's an Ardbeg. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a very long finish. Yes. Right? Um, Much longer than And it does, it, it does, there's definitely cinnamon. Like, the, when you drink Ardbeg 10, I don't, I don't think of cinnamon. That's not one of the flavors that comes to mind. This, um, that's definitely there, so it kind of makes it for a good Christmas whiskey. Yeah. What are it's your good. thoughts? It's good. It, it has an interesting uh, smell to it. That was the first thing I yeah that I very realized. earthy. Earthy. Like I was earthy, getting like some citrus, yeah, like the, maybe orange. Yeah. Well, I'm still trying to kind of wrap my mind around the peppermint menthol mm-hmm. earthy mix. That seems to make sense to me. I think when I smell it. But no, it's tasty. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we're going to Poland. Yes, we are doing that. We right want you to Easter. go with us. Would love for you to come with us. With Father Patrick Briscoe. And, uh, and maybe somebody else, and and possibly another Dominican. And which maybe is, maybe two Dominicans on the trip. 
which that, would be awesome. That would be so awesome. Yeah. So you get us. When is the last time Dominicans? You got to go anywhere with with Dominicans, right? Especially like think about that. cool ones. And we're going to go see uh, the the homeland of uh, Saint Faustina, JP two, Maximilian Kolbe. Right after Easter, uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. We'll, we'll be in Poland on Divine is, Mercy Sunday. So go to selectinternationaltours.com slash Catholic Man Show. You can find out more information there. Because I'm pumped about it. Me too, man. Dave, so over this last year, uh, the good Archdeacon of the Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma has hosted us. Mm. Yes, he has. Uh, to At his house. A number of times. Um, almost 12 to be exact. Okay. Um, I'm, I haven't counted, so I... Well, there's one a month. There's 12 months in a year. Okay. You know what? That checks out. <laughs> um, over to his house to read the great books. You know, and we've been mm-hmm. reading Homer. And we've been doing it for more than a year, right? Correct. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for, yeah, I was talking about for this year. Yeah. Um, okay. And we've been reading Homer. We've talked about it several times on the show, talking, mm-hmm. reading the Iliad and reading the Odyssey. We're almost finished with the Odyssey. Uh, but we've, uh, in the process of doing that, uh, we kind of, uh, Deacon and I have kind of worked through an idea that we've been kind of working on for, for a full year. Um, I'll let you, Deacon, kind of explain. I'll let you announce it. Sure. We are starting, it is fitting. Yeah. yeah. We are starting a new podcast. So we are starting Ascend, the Great Books podcast. And so the, the general pitch is, is that, you know, we had a really good time starting the Sunday uh, Great Books and the, the fraternity of it, etc. It's Genesis is mainly that I would share these things on Twitter, X. And say, hey, look, here I am with, you know, all these men discussing, you know, Homer. We're reading this together, right, as a group. And so many comments would be, I wish I could do this. I I wish there was someone here. Or, hey, I know a couple people who want to do this, but none of us are familiar with the text, right? No one can kind of serve that kind of tutor role, right? So if Homer's the teacher, Mm -hmm. like, who's, like, a little bit more experienced than us? And so, you know, Adam and I coming together, I think it was both in our hearts, to kind of try and take the conversations that we had in this small group and put it in a format and which would benefit many others. And so I think we're offering something unique insofar as, you know, a lot of great books podcasts are like, okay, this week we're going to talk about the Iliad, and the next week we're talking about Machiavelli's The Prince, and then we'll talk about Pope John Paul II, and then we'll talk about, you know, Genesis, right? It's like very sporadic. But there's a, a real benefit with the great books of doing two things. One is reading them chronolo- like in their chronological order, uh-huh. because there's a great conversation, right? So if you read Homer, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm understanding Homer, but then Socrates and Plato are in dialogue with Homer. And then Aristotle's in dialogue with you know. Right. So if you haven't read Homer, then you're missing. Like you're coming in the middle con- in the middle of a conversation. Correct. Sort of, and then yeah. over you know thousands of years, this actually just continues to build upon one another. So the way that you know Providence, I think, started these conversations, right? I think is is really important. And we we see this like with the Greek conversations. We see this with the Old Testament uh, coming together. I think in very unique ways to prepare the world for Jesus Christ. Like there's these conversations that have have started. And so one of the things that we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a year of Homer. So 2024 is the year of Homer, and we're going to cover one book, one chapter, of Homer per week, which basically means that we're going to read the Iliad the first six months of 2024, right? So we're Mm -hmm. inviting people to join us, inviting people to kind of start their own small groups, right? We actually have a question-answer guide to the Iliad that's over 100 questions, just helping people like, hey, what happened in this book, right? What are these questions? What are the main themes that you need to be tracking? So we're going to have this year of Homer, and it's a slow, intentional read. So one thing is to read them in chronological order. The other thing is that the great books are great. 
And they're great for a reason, right? They made a, a huge impact onto our culture. We're downstream from these thinkers. One of the reasons to read the great books is that you need to reclaim your intellect. We're all disciples of someone, right? We are, right? Hopefully we're disciples of Jesus Christ, but a lot of people are disciples of John Locke or of Nietzsche, mm-hmm. but they haven't read these thinkers, right? They think their thoughts are unique. They're not unique, right? Our culture came from somewhere. So a lot of the reason that we read the great books is because we want to reclaim our intellect, right? We actually want to reclaim like what it actually means to think and where did ideas come from and where do these, all these ideas in our culture come from? So we're going to start this year of Homer. We're going to spend the first six months on the Iliad, the second six months reading the Odyssey. Um, you know, in the Odyssey, we invite a lot of uh, guests to come on. So we'll have some professors, some professionals, uh, some other people that are just like you and me reading some of these texts, sometimes for the first time, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's really our target audience is people who are not familiar with great books and would like uh, a safe, healthy place to read them chronologically and to read them slow and attentive, right? One book a week of Homer, usually that's around, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 lines, is good. And when you do that slow, attentive read, you're able to ruminate on it. You don't, no, no one has to tell you then why Homer's a great book. Mm-hmm. You have seen why he's a great book because you have taken the time and attention to read through him. And I think right. that this is something unique that we're offering is to spend this much time on a single author. And then, you know, the year after that, we'll probably focus on a lot of the Greek poetics. The year after that, we might focus on Plato's Republic, right? And the conversation goes on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, each book, each chapter, it's like maybe 30 to 45 minutes to read Mm -hmm. in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And I think a lot of guys, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of guys want to read it, okay? Mm -hmm. But... The, the ha- not having that familiarity with the text is a big deal, okay? Because there's just so much mm-hmm. that... There's a lot of scholarship that's gone into these books, and there's a lot of history and context that if you just read it, you can't just know, oh, here's the like cultural you know, happenings at the time, and this is what this meant, right? And I don't say that to discourage anyone from reading it, because go... You, I mean, just read it anyway. You're, there's a lot you're going to get out of these books, but like, like Deacon, this is something that's very passionate that you're very passionate about, you know, and that like you've spent a lot of time studying, and so like just the the knowledge that you can bring, like just being in the group with you and some of the other people that I mean, honestly, I feel like n- not only your insights, but some of the like our group is, is pretty amazing, uh, or like our Sunday group. It's, yeah, it's really an honor to be a part of it, but. Um, the podcast that you got, that you're putting together with so the things that you bring and then some of the other guests that you're having, it's going to be huge, okay? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. otherwise, it would take you you know years of study to get to the point where you would be able to learn these things on your own. Right. I think that this is why, like in the great books tradition, a lot of times what we'll talk about is that you know the author of the book, say here with the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, Homer, is the teacher. Right, that's the true teacher. That's, mm-hmm. So we're all coming as students, right? So like if, in our Sunday Great Books, like I don't present myself as the teacher of Homer, right? right? But then I think what, what impedes a lot of men from reading the Great Books is that, okay, that's fine and dandy, but like just trying to like, you know, coldly start by yourself is very difficult, right? It's very difficult, actually. Mm-hmm. And so to have someone who we might call a tutor, right? A more experienced student, someone that can be in the group that helps the group then kind of unpack Homer, right? Or like, hey, are you seeing what he's doing with this epithet? Are you watching like how these two stories are in parallel? Mm-hmm. Particularly because first-time readers, a lot of times when you're reading poetry, you're just trying to track the literal narrative. Right. right. I mean, how many people in our Sunday Great Books 
I would say almost half had already tried to read the Iliad by themselves. And like, I remember when I was like, guys, oh, we could spend a year on Homer. A lot of people were like, yeah, that, that sounds terrible. Like I tried to read the Iliad and it was really, really boring. Mm-hmm. But then when you read it as a group and that iron sharpens iron and you've got a few people that actually know what they're talking about, like it comes alive and you see a lot right. more. So then the, the thing is with a sin then is, can we be that tutor to other people? Right. So can our conversation that, you know, predominantly Adam and I have, and sometimes we invite a guest on, can that help you and be like that tutoring to then really help you grasp the text? So when's it going to start? Well, actually, we're starting when, Adam? Uh, the first ones are going to be the, the last of December. And okay. Then, and, then, and then book so one is bef- January. Before the new year. Before the, before We've got a few year. preliminaries that will come out. And so, hey, you're looking for Christmas gifts? Go buy the Iliad and the Odyssey, translated by Fagels. And we got thegreatbookspodcast.com as a URL. What? Yeah. Sweet. (laughs) Do you feel like God is calling you to go on a pilgrimage? Well, for the last 34 years, Select International Tours has been leading pilgrimages to holy sites all over the world. And you want when you go on pilgrimages, Dave, you want to make sure you have the great the best hotels, you're touring with the best guides, and every detail has been addressed. And that's exactly what you're getting with Select International Tours. So for more information, go to their brand new website, selectinternationaltours.com. They have been a sponsor of the Catholic Man Show for a long time now. Even during the COVID pandemic, they were still sponsoring our show. A lot of other tour companies were really shutting down. These guys were consistent. So go to selectinternationaltours.com to find out more information about all the great pilgrimages they offer all over the world. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. We have a good friend, Deacon Garlic, with us. Talking a little about uh, art, this art bag, some hunting stories. Before we get to the topic, real quick, I want to just give a plug for our Christmas list. Oh yeah, yeah. If you're uh, like in crunch time and need to figure out like a good uh, gift to give, because I mean the list is is stout this year. Did you like it? Uh, yeah, and I'm wearing the suspenders. The suspenders, and you know, so like I haven't really worn sus. I've worn suspenders before. Didn't have a great experience. I mean, it was fine. It just wasn't great. Okay. Today, having a pretty good experience. Like, <laughs> as soon, I'm I'm not going to go into details too much. It's fine, I but it was well received at home. Good. Okay. Good. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can go to the Catholic Man Show. We, we wrote, we gave like 70 different um, options that you could possibly buy for Christmas. That's great. It, including this is, a good, this is a good segue suspenders into including, our actual topic. Into our actual topic, yeah, because. Yeah. So Deacon, what, is that a fat? Is that a fat joke? <laughs> <laughs> so Deacon, you wrote. I'm not gonna throw stones. Back in August, you wrote an, a an article for uh, the Josias. Correct. Um, Josias.com is that what it's called? Is that the sure. website? The Josias, I think. Yeah, the the Josias.com on fat souls. Yeah, the crisis of fat souled men, particularly. Yeah, and so. Obviously, I I had read I got the inside scoop. I read it before it was published, which was awesome. Yeah, um, appreciate your insights. And yeah, I think I said like, you should put your name on it. I think that was my my insights. Like, <laughs> make sure to put your name on it. 
Um, no, but uh, in all seriousness, since since August, we've been we've been talking about like, hey, we want to have you on the show to talk about this topic because I think it's it's a topic that once we start discussing it, people are gonna it's gonna resonate with people. But it's not something that you think about possibly all the time in the way in which you articulated it in the in your blog. Yeah. So we're here. Uh, we're gonna talk about it. So like, let's kind of like maybe just set up. Like, what do you mean by fat souls? Like, like, what's the let's set a baseline? The premise. Can, yeah. And then yeah. Can... So the I mean the the problem is that you can't understand the fat souls if you don't understand erotics, right? You have to be skilled in erotics. So we're just gonna keep going back and uh, you know. So where's suspenders? Which, just yeah. so people know, like this is something that we make. It's like an inside joke that we make fun of Deacon for a lot because he wrote. He likes to write about eros. Right. It's just. So he's skilled yeah. in erotics. Yeah, he's very. He's a very erotic man. Yeah, very good. I'll take that. So, <laughs> and it's in its best, you know, proper sense of the term. Yeah. Oh, I mean it that way. So, you know, Dante, when he is writing the Divine Comedy, actually, when he's writing the the Purgatorio, and he has people being purged of slothfulness, right, asadia, mm-hmm. he talks. He has, he has a wonderful uh, picture where I think it's Virgil, right, because this is Dante the Pilgrim. Virgil, Virgil tells Dante the Pilgrim about Asadia and how this works. And basically the soul, one way to look at the soul is the soul is like fire. The soul has a natural desire tendency to rise. Mm-hmm. It wants to ascend, right? This is what it wants to do. It wants to move from lesser things to greater things until it comes to God. And one of the issues with Asadia, with the slothfulness, is that it's a cooling of love right? It kind of serves as like a pall upon man, if you will, right? It kind of smothers his natural love, his arrows, his erotics. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like the, the picture, I think, is that when we look at like a crisis of fat-souled men, the first question I think is, okay, well, what is that love? Like, what is, it, what is this eros? What is it actually calling us to do? And then what is the effect of a sadia upon it, right? So when you look at, say, what is eros? What does this actually mean? So the text that we always turn to, right, is uh, a pagan text, is actually Plato's Symposium, in which Diotima, a woman, uh, a foreign woman, explains to Socrates, right, how to be skilled in erotics. And now erotics there is the adjective of eros, and eros is this natural love that you have. It's, It's the love that you have to attain beautiful things, and when you attain beautiful things and you satiate in them, you are happy right? And this is a natural love that we all have. We want to be happy all the time, right? And so all the way in our life, we're always kind of moving towards one good or another. We're always moving towards one beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. There's things that we do because we say, hey, this will make me happy, sometimes in the short term, sometimes in the long term. But basically, this motivates all of our decisions, right? Thomas will talk a lot about, like, the will. The Platonic tradition talks a lot about eros, right? We love things, right? This is what we actually do. And so in, in a certain way, like, to kind of just snapshot it, uh, women, right, are icons of beauty. They're the icons of the beauty of the cosmos, of this, this hierarchy of beauty. And this comes from Diotima, right? This is a woman. She's teaching Socrates these erotics. And what she basically tells is, is like, listen, particularly for the masculine, right, this love is first aroused in the masculine heart by women, right? And this is why erotics has all the connotations that it does, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And even, by the way, when Plato's talking about this, that's still the connotation that it has. That way he's using eros 
is somewhat new, right? He's pushing out against his culture. So we might say, like, no one uses eros like this. No one uses erotics like this. Well, that's true, but also for Plato's time, it was also true, right? He's adopting this term, right, to mean something greater. And so when they look at this, they say, listen, Diotima, this woman, she's telling him that, listen, when the, when the man looks at a woman and she's, he sees that beautiful, right, that, that beauty in her, beauty has this trait of drawing us out of ourselves, right? We focus on the allurement of the other, and there's one or two ways that this goes. Normally, what we see in our culture, what we've seen a lot, is that then, um, you know, that beauty is something that men tend to, like, fixate on, right? And then they just, they turn into consumption, where women become kind of the raw material for masculine lust, right? So think about pornography, you think about these things, right? We take that uh, beauty, and we don't go higher with it, we go lower, we become animalistic. But Diotima, even in a pagan context is saying, no, women are icons, that's my term, not hers, but women are these kind of signposts, they awaken this erotics in man, and they actually point him to higher beauties. Because when you love the beauty, the form, you know, of a woman, then when you come to love her, you inevitably end up falling in love with who she is, or rather her soul, right? And this leads a young man to then think like, wait, what is it then that's beautiful about her soul? And there's something then that's beautiful about souls in general. And this leads a young man in a lot of ways to virtue, right? Because this virtue is what makes our souls beautiful, right? This, this habituating ourselves to the good. And we see this, I mean, this might seem, this sounds like really terribly philosophic and whatever. It's not really, like you see this all the time, right? A man falls in love with a woman and notice how many times <clears throat> that forces the man to mature. Yeah. Right? It forces the man to say, oh, wait, like here's the woman. A lot of times when they meet when they're young, it's the woman who's actually more mature than the man, and that that or just when they're young. Well, <clears throat> yeah. well, I'll leave your marriage aside. So, <laughs> but there's a thing of like, oh, I need to step up, right? I need to be the husband. I need to be eventually then the father as well, right? So that love of the soul uh, pushes him. What we would say uh, from lesser beauties to higher beauties. That there's a a beauty of the soul, not just tethered to the beloved, but actually just in general. And this is what we call virtue, right? A human excellence. And the pagans would say, listen, we're going after honor. We're going after glory, right? We actually want to excel in this human uh, excellence, this arete in the Greek. And then there's something higher than that, which is wisdom, right? There's actually a beauty and wisdom in living this life. And so Plato would talk about this as the ladder of love, right? That we actually move from one rung to the other, moving from lesser beauties to greater beauties. And the soul is being able to satiate on these higher things, until the top of the ladder of love is God. You know, beauty itself, right? Plato will talk about the divine beauty, the idea of beauty, right? The, the Catholic tradition very much adopting this kind of platonic ascension through the ladder of love will talk about that, well, at the top is beauty itself. Augustine will talk about the ancient beauty ever new. Yeah, one of the transcendentals. Yeah, beauty is one of the transcendentals, but then we find <coughs> out like, well... It's God, right, that then embodies all of these perfectly. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is what Augustine, I think, helps us kind of, you know, navigate in certain ways. And so when we talk about then the, the, this eros, is that really this, this eros, these erotics in you, which typically tend to say, well, this is just viewed on women, or this is something to be controlled or curbed or whatever. What we really need to realize is, is that that desire in you to be happy is actually something that was enkindled in you by God to bring you back to him. 
right? Love is a good circle, right? You came from God and you returned to Him. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, you can think about Scotch, right? So, but the Scotch, like this, I attain the Scotch. The Scotch is a good; it makes me happy. But it only has, makes me happy in a certain way, right? If I said like the Scotch is, you know, makes me happier than the birth of my child, you would say, well, that's disproportionate, right? There's something disordered about that. Yeah. Also, unfortunately, the Scotch will end. Right, the bottle only is finite; it will end. Yeah, especially right? if you keep filling up your glass. <clears throat> the Thank whis- you. The whiskey is always gone. Thank <laughs> you, David. So the um, so the problem here then is that when we look at these goods in our life, we can be condemned into a pattern of consumption. Right, and everything only makes us happy in certain ways. Everything uh, is limited; it's finite. And this is where the ladder of love comes in, because even the pagans could understand. Well, no, at the top of the ladder of love is God. It's beauty itself, the ancient beauty ever new. And in God, we find a beauty, a good, that is both infinite, but also makes me happy in all ways, right? He's not limited in the way that he makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And so we see that actually my erotics, my eros in me, was actually enkindled in me to bring me back to God. And it's only in God that I'll find this, like, true happiness, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So then we talk about then, like, okay, so we have this eros, we're climbing the ladder of love, you know, et cetera. You can see then, like particularly in the Platonic tradition, the soul has three parts, right? So you have your, at the baseline, you have your appetitive, which is like pleasure, right? You're seeking pleasure, which isn't always bad, right? The appetite. The appetites. Right. We're Mm -hmm. drinking scotch. We're doing these things. Then above that, you have the spirited, and that's willingness to go after something difficult. You're going after honor. You're going after glory. And then above that, right, you have your wisdom, right? You have your reason, and your reason's going after wisdom. And in all these things, right, Eros actually seeks a very particular good, and we can be happy in it. It's like temperance, fortitude, prudence. Yeah. I think the next question is then where does virtue fit into that? Yeah. All right. We're here with Deacon Garlic talking about fat-souled men. <clears throat> be right back. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan, our special guest, Deacon Harrison Garlic. We're talking about fat-souled men. So far, we're talking about eros and, right. and, and a role in our life. Which we did a we did another podcast on with you, Deacon, right. which I highly recommend everybody go and listen to. In defense to. of erotic love, right? Because understanding the role of eros in, in our lives and just kind of really the role of eros in our in our person, like in our soul, in our intellect, like just right. the way we're made, which is kind of what you were summing up here in the last segment. If if you go back and listen to that episode, that will give you a good foundation, a very good foundation into what right. we're talking about today. Correct. And Adam really kind of brought us, I think, to the next level, that if you look at the soul, and I'm, I'm kind of talking about the soul like in the, the Augustinian Platonic way, if you look at the soul of having three parts, right, that it has the appetitive, which seeks pleasure, it has the spirited, right? This has become somewhat popular online, right? This is your thumos. This is the thumotic, right? That seeks glory, honor, right? Just general excelling amongst mankind. And then you have uh, your reason, which seeks wisdom, right? These are goods. And you kind of see that the ladder of love, in a lot of ways, just mirrors your soul, mm-hmm. right? And so we kind of need to learn not to get stuck in the appetitive and to go higher, right? Because the soul's in a hierarchy. The higher should govern the lower, et cetera. Right. So to Adam's point, right? How do we climb the ladder of love? Well, we climb it via virtue, right? And you see how the virtues line up pretty well. So the appetitive is governed by temperance. The spirited is going to be governed by courage. The um, reason, right, in its pursuit of wisdom is then going to be uh, governed by prudence. And then in the platonic sense, uh, 
justice comes in, and justice is the virtue that makes everything well-ordered, right? It takes the parts of the soul and moves them into harmony with one another, right? So these are the cardinal virtues, like in the platonic sense. Okay, so, so far, it sounds like you need, we're talking about order, really, right. in your soul, okay? Because the one of the big, the big mistakes I, I, I find myself making, I think that just men certainly find themselves making, is getting things out of order, where you take those lower goods, because we're also, you were talking about the appetitive, the spirited, mm-hmm. and then uh, the wisdom, Reason, yeah. the, you know, like that's actually also the hierarchy of goods, right? Where the correct because those are not that the things that our appetite desires, they're good. That's why we desire them. Right. Right. But we can't value them above the higher goods. And that's the temptation. Right. Correct. You know, that we oh oh like I just want to put my you know, take that eros that I feel towards these things. I'm desiring good, the you know, the the beautiful. And when you misplace it and think, oh, this this whiskey or whatever right. is the thing, right? Like you were using the example earlier, like, oh, it's more important to me than my children. I mean, yeah, because yeah. it's disproportionate. And so I think to kind of shift then into like, where does the fat soul analogy come from? I think that, you know, what what's really on my heart is like, one, I think that understanding Eros is very important for our culture today, right? Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, we kind of separate erotics and say, well, that, that's either bad or like, I don't understand what that means. But also, like, just so you know, this isn't, you know, Deacon Garlic's cool ideas. I mean, Pope Benedict in Deus Caritas Est uh, gives a defense of erotic love. That's actually how it starts, right, is defending Eros. Because in a lot of the Protestant mindset, Eros is seen as like a competitive with St. Paul's agape, right? It's like a negative. But I think that, you know, if virtue makes our souls beautiful because we ascend the ladder of love, then vice makes our souls ugly, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's very true. And, you know, pride is the queen of sin, and when she takes root, right, she invites the seven deadly sins. And we kind of talk about, you know, all those, but I think the one that kind of skirts by today that I think um, is actually to blame for a lot of our things, I actually think it's the, the main demon of our age, is that slothfulness, is asadia. Mm-hmm. Because usually you can, you can figure out the sins of an age because they're the sins that we don't know well. They're the sins that have somehow sli- like kind of just slipped into ambiguity, and so we don't really talk about them, right? And you can't exercise the demon if you don't name it. So if you can't name the demon, if you don't understand the demon, there's a great chance in that demon is bothering you, because how do you have any defense against it? Mm-hmm. So Asadia, you know, I, I think in its more robust sense, um, is a cooling of love. It is, in a lot of ways, anti-erotic, right? It is contrary to the Eros. So if Eros is this fighter that burns, asking you to ascend, to go higher, then Asadia... Uh, is that is that cooling, that Paul that smothers that natural love in you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas will talk about it as a disgust with activity. And again, but you have to put that in the context of love, that it's love that actually spurs us to do things. So to be disgusted with activity, to have a uh, spiritual sadness, is actually because our eros has been smothered, right? And so I think what you can do when I do in the article is that then you can take Asadia, and you can then just work through the soul and say, wait, well, how does this actually affect the soul, right? So if you start from the top to the bottom, right, you start in the hierarchy. If you look at, um, because I think this is incredibly dispositive for the age and culture that we live in. So if you look at, like, the intellect, right, well, the intellect or your reason seeks wisdom. Well, if it 
is smothered, right? That love in you, right? The intellect loves wisdom. It wants to seek wisdom. It wants to understand that the cosmos is ordered and structured and that Christ, the Logos, is actually the account of all being. And in knowing him, we know the truth of reality. Well, if you become smothered and you have no desire to know any of those things, right? Your intellect simply becomes numb to beauty, right? Things can't actually Mm -hmm. allure it anymore. Mm -hmm. Then what ends up happening is, is that um, as that kind of becomes, um, you know, there's kind of this thick callus upon the intellect of being moved by beauty. Then we fall, I think, first into relativism, right? Well, you know, many things might be true, right? We kind of lose our, our urge or desire to actually know what is actually the truth. And then eventually, I think it actually just falls into nihilism, right? It falls into there is no ladder of love. Mm-hmm. There is no ordered cosmos. There is nothing, right? My, my soul has no enkindler. The love that I have in me has no maker. I'm not called to do anything, right? Right, And this translates... So you can see how nihilism and asadia, a slothfulness, mm-hmm. kind of hold hand in hand, right? right. I, yeah, because when you introduce disorder, really I think nihilism is inevitable because... Ultimately, when things get disordered and you're, um, you know, when you're pointing in the wrong direction, what ends up happening is you end up getting back towards focusing on yourself as the thing that is the, like, going to satisfy you, okay? Because right. you, your own appetites become mm-hmm. the thing you're pursuing and not the beauty, it's, and not beauty itself, right. okay? Like, I'm now just simply going to satisfy myself, Mm-hmm. Okay, and so now I end up becoming the thing that I'm pursuing, right? And at the end of the day, you're not enough. Yeah, this is a finite thing, right? Like it's an infinite it, thing that you're. If like you are finite thing. right, like you, yeah, you're you're just not going to be able to satisfy yourself. You're not you're not enough because only the infinite can do that, right? Right. And so when you get pointed around back at yourself, yeah, in my own appetites, and now I kind of become the god of my world, right? Well, of course you're going to become a nihilism. You're going to fall into nihilism because, yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there is, you're, yeah. you are not even close. Yeah, there's no ladder of love to even climb. Right, right? exactly. I, ha- I actually have no purpose. The yeah. desires of my soul have no corresponding goals. Yeah. And so what ends up happening, right, is that, that the higher governs the lower. And so when the intellect falls into this trap, it then affects the lower parts of the soul, right? So the, the part, again, kind of using an Augustinian uh, mapping of the soul, then the soul, you have your, your wisdom, or you have your reason uh, that seeks wisdom, and then below that, you have your spirited. And this has kind of become, I, I think it's worth your attention, it depends on how online you are, but mm-hmm. on, on online, the, the spirited, the thumatic, the thumos has become actually like a really popular thing. Is that thing. just the Greek version? Yeah, so that's the Greek. And it, it's, it's become somewhat co-opted, I think, by certain groups, right, that are like, hey, men are supposed to be like, you know, we're supposed to be conquering, we're supposed to be involved in honor and glory, right? Like, we're supposed to be Achilles, right? That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be Achilles, and we don't care for the weak, we don't do any things, we just crush these things around us, etc. So I think Catholics have to have a really good understanding of that spirited. What is it that that calls us? Uh, it's, it's somewhat analogous to the irascible appetite in the Thomistic mm-hmm. system. Right. right, that's what it was reminding me of. Yeah, this is, well, this is like, the, the Platonic is somewhat, right, the, the blueprint that then Aristotle plays off of, right? Because Aristotle basically has reason, he has the will, which in a lot of ways actually is eros, right? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that moves you towards the good. But instead of talking right. about eros and beauty, he talks about will and good. And then you have your passions, but the passions are broken in two categories, which is, you know, the rascable, which lines up with the spirited, and the concupiscible, which lines up with the appetitive, mm-hmm. right? 
So what we're talking about here, but I, I think that in a lot of ways I'm drawn to the platonic side because I think, one, it's easier to understand. Yeah. And two... Um, I do think we're more used to thinking about it in terms of our will. Correct. Yeah. So I think that... Um, so when it, when it leaks into, it cascades down into the sadia, into the spirited, this part of your soul, uh, which is supposed to call you to great things. This is where the soul becomes magnanimous, right? A sadia hates magnanimity. It hates great-souled men. There's nothing to be great about, right? Like, you care too much. Mm-hmm. And so it takes the unspirited, and it makes it weak. It makes it effeminate, right? It says there's nothing actually... There's no thing that's difficult that is worth doing, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's what Asidia... You know, when, when I was first learning about Asidia, I used to think Asidia was just like, oh, just not doing anything. Being a, Like, slothfulness is just like, just sitting on the couch, not doing anything at all. Yeah, which is but, not. Not that at all. Which Yeah, it, it's actually like, you know if you have a hierarchy of good things to do, it's actually like putting the lower thing that you have to do above the higher thing yeah. that you have Slothful to do. Slothful people are like frenetic sometimes in their activity. And oh, what, yeah, you can have a CEO of a company who's incredibly slothful. Right. You can have a marathon runner that's incredibly slothful because right. it is a denial of the soul of its true goods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people then get caught up in making money or making their body look nice or et cetera. Because and, that's the easier part. Right. Right. Because, because everybody has their own natural talents and like yeah. running for me is maybe easy or making money for me like business wise is just easy. Me- meanwhile, you, like doing something that would force them to grow in charity. And yeah, well, that's arduous. Yeah. Things that, that are, that are hard. I'm going to put that in a lower good or a lower level right. of hierarchy. And then what happens is, is you end up not being magnanimous. Yeah, so you end up satiating your lower appetites, you end up just focusing on pleasure, and you end up having a fat soul, soul, right? You wallow at the bottom of the ladder of love, unwilling to climb it, you're effeminate, soft, and won't do anything. So we're out of time on Catholic Radio. Go check us out at thecatholicmanshow.com because we're going to continue this uh, conversation with Deacon Garlic. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Yeah, so that's what I was just trying to like make sure to like bring yeah, home. It, it, it is like acedia, not necessarily is just being slothful as in like I'm just sitting on the couch eating p- potato chips. Right. It's that you're not willing to do the things, the arduous things yeah. that you're called to, to the magnanimous things that like rise, like ascend your soul to God that He's calling you to do. So, uh, Deacon, ascend. I just want to point that out. I know, like the synergy on this particular podcast <laughs> was pretty incredible. Like. <laughs> Right. Not only is your podcast called Ascend, you know, it's like that's what we're t- climbing the ladder of love. This is why it's and, actually called Ascend, and we're also talking about the great work, like the great books at the same right. time. You know, it's, it's like I'm no, a little this is, suspicious. It's almost like it's yeah, I'm, exactly. it's like I'm a little bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah. It's like providence. Yeah, yeah. So um, let me ask you this, Deacon: Do like does a person with a fat soul do they know? Are they aware of their own fatness? No, I don't think so. Because I think that, like I said, like. You can have someone who is complete. So, okay, so I think let's take a complicated example. You see a lot of online personalities. I can name them if you want, but you see these online personalities and they are in shape, right? They're bodybuilders, so they work yeah. all the time, whatever. And so, what that, what that shows for you, right, is like, oh, they, they must have some type of virtue. They have self discipline or whatever. And so, but really, like, so that lies in the spirited. Well, they seem to have some spirited virtue because, like, working out is difficult and they've obviously clearly done that. But then when they talk, you realize that the working out, the the having of this body, et cetera, is clearly oriented actually to the lower part of the soul, right? right? It's completely yeah. about, well, here's how I get women, you know, to date me or have sex with me. Here's how I get women to, do, to be cam girls. Here's mm-hmm. how I get, you know, whatever, right? 
And so, no, I don't think, like, if you told them, like, you have a fat soul, I think they'd be incredibly contrary to what they think, right? Like, you are actually soft and fat, right? You have no spirited, right? You're not actually going off to true honor and glory. Mm-hmm. And you also are completely fat in your soul, right? Uh, you have a spiritual obesity, if you will, because your whole purpose is just to satiate your appetites. Right. And I think that the the... <laughs> Shockingly, the person who nailed this is Socrates, and in, in the Republic, he talks about that most people live like cattle. See, and right? the, so okay, yeah. So I know where you go with this, but but I think that this is the, the dangerous part, Deacon, because from a physical standpoint, if you're fat, you can see it, you're aware of it, like yeah. you can look at yourself in the mirror and be like, oh, right. I've been gaining five pounds every year for the last twenty years, and now I'm hundred pounds overweight. And it's very visible. But with from a spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. this is this is like the game of the devil, right? Is that like it right. he actually like lulls you into this where you don't even realize. Yeah. It's not like you can take a measurement or you can take a physical measurement right. uh, to, to know whether or not your soul mm-hmm. is uh, like you are living like cattle. Well no, I think, actually I'm not sure about that. I, I think that you probably can if you're willing to if you're actually willing to assess if you're willing to, yes. Yeah, but I think. That Adam, but I think it's Adam's not like point, it's easy as stepping on a scale, right? right. right. Yeah. But to Adam's point, I think, and where I really get irritated about this online, is everyone around us, right? I mean, this is Socrates, right? Socrates says that everyone's living like cattle. He says that listen, we are mainly just fo- most people are just focused on copulating and eating, and they're like cattle. Their head is down. They're not looking up to the ladder of love. They're just looking down, mm-hmm. and they live a life like cattle. And is this the really the life that you want to live, right? He's counseling Glaucon in Plato's Republic. And I think what what really irritates me, and what kind of actually led me to write the article, is that a lot of men, as you guys know, because I think you have a great ministry on this podcast, are lost. And I mean, not to go on a whole other rant, but because of how our culture is, right, particularly under relativism. We are habituated to being unspirited. We are habituated to being effeminate. Relativism mm-hmm. is effeminate, right? There is no truth worth fighting for. There is no truth worth ascending for, right? Like, etc. And so our culture kind of lends to be soft-souled, to be fat-souled. And so what ends up happening is, I think to, to Adam's point, is that then these guys come on and like, you know, they're in shape. They have, you know, some kind of natural virtue to a certain degree of like being willing to do difficult things, etc. But really they're actually just glorified cows still, right? Like everything they do that's difficult is actually still just to gain women, to gain money, right? Mm-hmm. So they, but the problem is what breaks my heart is that then they they project this life online of like, look, here's the girl that I was able to sleep with last week, right? Look what she looks like, mm-hmm. right? Or here's the car that I drive. Here's the house that I have. And tons and tons of young men want to emulate this. And I think the reason they want to emulate it is they look at themselves and they understand that like, oh, I, I'm just, like, stuck. I, I'm living a life like cattle. I'm stuck in the appetitive. I am, you know, obese, whether physically or spiritually. But then they gravitate towards someone who is really actually just a more in-shape cow. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. really, they're, oh, yeah. they're really just using their spirited, right, to what, what little, you know, we want to accredit them, the, the, the spirited in them that's willing to do difficult things. It's still ultimately oriented towards the purpose of the appetitive, of, see, of seeking pleasure, right? And that's how they market themselves. Like, look, I receive more pleasure than you do, right? And this is where it breaks my heart because then we see all these young men like, oh, yeah. I need to start working out. Why? Well, because I want to get laid by, you know, the hotter girl. Yeah, by her. Right. You're a cow. Like, you are a cow, 
Mm-hmm. Like that's what you focus. Like you live the life of cattle. You have a fat soul. Right. Because these are the lower goods. Right. I mean, copulation per se would be part of the you know like the lower goods. If, if you're talking about like a life given to a you know like to your wife, you know where you give you know your whole life to her in service and love, you know that's a different situation. Okay, but how do can you think of like a good way for someone to say like oh your answer to this question would be indicative of your spiritual fatness like would it have something to do with friendship like or i mean charity seems like it has charity has to be it seems to me like a part of that like right i i, like, I think ultimately it comes into i mean all things are judged good or bad according to their end according to their purpose right uh-huh. so we know we talked about you know skinning a deer, and so obviously, like, what kind of knife do you want to have when you're when you're actually field dressing a deer? You want to have a sharp knife, a very sharp knife, because yeah. the purpose of the knife is to cut, and I need the knife to cut right now. And if it's a sharp knife, then it has excellence. If it's dullness, then it has you know a viciousness about it, because this is it's actually contrary to its purpose. Right. So I think in some way, like, if you're like, well, wait, could I self-diagnose myself with, um, you know, spiritual obesity, or what's this look like? I think the question is, what what's the purpose that you're living your life for? I mean, this is literally Socrates' uh, proposition that Glaucon mm-hmm. is actually telling him, like, listen, the tyrant gets everything that he wants, right? He gets the women, he gets the food, he gets the power, he gets everything that he wants. He is still going to be unhappy. Right. Your erotics, your eros, is actually going to be most satiated in the life of the philosopher. And this is a pagan who has figured this out, right? The contemplating beauty itself. So I think one way, like, if we're going to run our souls through a self-diagnostic you know, diagnostic program, I think one thing to say is, like, why am I doing this thing? And I think, I mean, just, you know, you could push it. Well, why do I want to raise? Why do I want more money? Why do I want this? And if your answers are, well, I might get a hotter wife or I need a bigger car, I think you have some problems. I think you really need to actually sit down and think about, like, why am I doing the things I am? Because, again, all things are judged good or bad according to their purpose. And the way that you have purposed your life then reflects upon your soul. And so I think, yeah, if you're if you find yourself even indirectly thinking like, oh, well, maybe even if I'm like virtuous, then you know, I might be able to do this or that or whatever. What part of the soul, the reason, the spirited, or the appetitive actually holds the most sway over what your goals are in life? And I think that's a way to self-diagnose. So that means like it doesn't matter what your vocation is, that you could be fat sold. Whether you are a single man, whether you're a married man, whether you're religious, you know, regardless of your soul or your vocation. No, I I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, Asadia slips into us, right? He, she is the the noonday devil, right? It's the devil that can slip into us even in the middle of the day, even when there are no shadows. Uh, the best book on Asadia, by the way, is a book entitled "The Noonday Devil" by Abbot Nolt. I think, N-A-U-L-T, I believe. That's the book I read. I think it's phenomenal. It really gives a robust account of what Asadia actually is, right? Because again, it's one of those, if you can't name the demon, you can't exercise it. And I think in a lot of ways, we reduce slothfulness to like a laziness. Oh, you know, I watch Netflix too much or Mm -hmm. whatever. Right. Well, okay, that's part of it. Like almost like it has to be, comes down to how much time do you sit on the couch? Right. You know, and that's just not what it is. But in reality, you could be very fat sold as a marathon runner. Yeah. Right, because you're still focused on the appetitive, right? Like, well, I, I want my body to look good because, you know, that affects me, you know, whatever kind of pleasures it is that I want to have. 
And so even like Socrates, the play, the the pagan is pushing us to say no. It's your reason, seeking after beauty itself, that actually should orient all of these lower goods in your life. And then obviously, like the ladder of love that we see in Plato has been adopted then by multiple um, Catholic authors throughout the centuries, right? I mean, you have to think that the Platonic uh, kind of structure, if you will, was basically dominant with inside Catholicism for about a thousand years. So you read St. Augustine, you write, you read uh, St. John Climacus, who wrote actually the ladder of divine ascent, and there's a beautiful icon that bears that hmm. same name. Uh, St. Bonaventure also wrote um, one that basically follows uh, the latter as, as well. And so this is somewhat ubiquitous within Catholic spirituality, that we actually need to climb the ladder via virtue. And ultimately, our goal should be, does this thing bring me closer to beauty itself? Does this actually bring me closer to yeah. God, the ancient beauty ever knew? Does, it, does there any like direct correlation between this ladder of love and Jacob's ladder? Yes. Yes. So... The uh, Platonic ladder of love, which is a, which is a pagan sense, right? And then we're talking about our eros. In the Latin, we're talking about a more, right? Our, our natural love, and what draws us up to God. Well, a natural question then is, what happens when you meet Him, right? Well, that that really can't be answered. I mean, in the Platonic sense, it's like, well, every once in a while you have these kind of erotic epiphanies, right? You have an ecstasy. Uh, Plotinus will talk about that once or twice in his life. He he had this like ecstasy of actually seeing into the divine, right, to a certain degree. Well, in Catholicism, uh, this is where St. Paul's agape comes in, right? Well, I do find God. I do find him, and I find that he is Jesus Christ. I find that we have this whole sacramental system. And so uh, Pope Benedict and Deus Caritas Est will talk about that eros and agape are two movements of the soul. So eros is a call to ascend. It's a call to continue to go upward. And really, Eros is a need love, right? It's a selfish love in the best sense of the term, right? It's that I need to be loved. And so I seek Mm -hmm. certain things that can actually give me uh, that love, that I can satiate and be happy. But then I come to know God. I'm baptized in Him. I have uh, sanctifying grace, right? And then we're given caritas, we're given charity, which is a supernatural love, a love that I can't receive, I can't habituate myself to via nature. I actually have to be given to it as a gift. And uh, Pope Benedict, drawing on the Church Fathers, will say, well, this is a selfless love, right? And this is usually what we focus on, right? This is the, yeah. this is the you know, you love others no matter what they do. This is the Mother Teresa, right, etc. And uh, Pope Benedict will point this as a descent, that this is actually in the soul moving down, it's moving outward towards others. But bringing something down. Right. And so you have... Not just moving down, but like... Bring, hey, you're bringing this yeah, love of God Bringing down. something, to, bringing a gift. So you right. have an ascent, and you have a descent. Mm-hmm. You have a movement upward and downward. And so Pope It's Benedict very masculine says, and feminine. Like, on the, on the one hand, the ascent, when you're ascending, you're, you're going to receive. Mm-hmm. And then on the, on the descent, there's like, the, be more of a masculine... Like, sure, I think you could play that out. Yeah. The point to your original question is that the ladder of love in Plato, in a pagan sense, is then perfected in Catholicism by Jacob's ladder, right? Because you have the angels moving up and downward. Yeah. And so a lot of the spiritual writers will say that this is the the perfection of this pagan understanding. They understood Eros, the Amor, this natural love. They couldn't understand Agape because we hadn't been told about it yet, and we right we didn't know about the sacraments, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we have that, and so these two things uh, play off each other until you get to like. You know, think think of um, Saint Teresa of Avila's 
uh, ecstasy, right? Bernini uh, has this wonderful statue that yeah. he did. Yeah. Well, what is that? Well, it's also a, a movement upward. So Eros, once it's perfected by grace, uh, continues to ascend. It continues to move upward into that relationship with God and into beauty itself. And at times is uh, is an ecstasy, right? Which is just a drawing yourself out of yourself. Yeah. Like, that's what ecstasy is. It's like moving yourself out out of yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, because God is beauty itself. If beauty pulls us out of ourselves, right, then God will pull us out uh, the most, to the degree that then we can have the selfless love. And I think this is important because a lot of times we read about, like, St. Teresa of Avila, or, you know, a saint that lived amongst the lepers, or, like, all these things, and we think, how could they just give and give and give? And I think a, a really wrong read here, and Mother Teresa might be a bad, bad example, given her particular spiritual dispositions, but... I think a, a bad read here is that we think, well, they didn't need to be loved, right? So, like, they, mm. they just, like, they could give and give and give because they just didn't really need anything back. That's not what I would have said. That's, and but. I think that one way to look at them is, is that they can give and give and give through agape, through caritas, a selfless love, because they are satiated in right. their eros, yeah. right? Because the need love they have is so deeply rooted in God mm-hmm. that it spills forth and they can love the poorest of the poor or, you know, just, you know, your general belligerent human because they don't actually need anything back from them because they're not looking for anything to confirm their self-identity because they've already completely saturated that in God. Deacon, I wonder if you can help my thinking about this. Um, I'm wondering if... This is probably the last question. Okay. I'm wondering if, like, the ladder of love represents, you know, it's, it's like virtue, meaning it's like the middle, the middle way. On the one hand, you have this these fat souls who are kind of like ravenous on these lower goods, right? Almost like trying to consume beauty in a disordered way, you know, like too much almost, okay? They're lusting over beauty. And then on the other side, maybe you have like neutered souls or sterile souls who simply just reject it all they see they kind of they kind of end up making the same mistake so that both both sides end up kind of in the same place whereas right. you, where you end up in this nihilism a sense of like purposelessness acedia but you have fat souls and then you have on the other hand maybe maybe have neutered souls or something like that just an utter rejection of everything of who i am my desire for beauty is pointless i'm not going to you know no i think so i think because the issue, the reason that most of our culture falls into like this lust, this wallowing at the bottom of the ladder of love, this the satiating of just like the lower appetites, is because reason and the spirited are so deprived of their goods, of their beauties, that there's nothing left to actually pursue. So what am I going to do? I'm going to just full bore pursue the appetitive, right? Which is what we see, and I think pornography which in certain ways is a whole other discussion, in certain ways apes the divine by offering us this infinite way to try and satiate ourselves, right? It, it apes it in, a, in kind of a, a perverse mockery. But I do think you are correct insofar as there are souls then that the asadia can sink into so deeply that even the appetitive loses its desire, right? So we've seen that with the reason, we've seen that with spirited. It can also happen with the appetitive. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the insights, and I think it comes from either St. John Climacus or from Abbot uh, Nolte, is that the asadia can become so intense. Remember, it hates greatness. 
that it can even come to an intensity in which it hates life itself, right? Mm-hmm. That even yeah. life itself is not worth hmm. living. And one of the signs of a culture that's been conquered by Asadia is in a complete disregard for life. Hmm. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of us have any, you know, experience with that. <laughs> but I mean, this is the point. So you are correct that even the appetitive can be some become so saturated with the sadia that it, it doesn't see anything worth uh, pursuing. And then if you have a cooling of love throughout all of the tripart soul, then what is the point of living? And then you mm-hmm. commit suicide, you have uh, assisted suicide, right? You don't care if people are aborted because this life isn't worth living anyway. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And of course, the, uh, the antidote to all of this is a, a strong, dedicated prayer life. Yeah, I think I think a lot of ways the antidote, right, is uh, zeal, mm-hmm. right, which is that that contrary uh, to asadia, and also a good deal of hope is also another thing that I think is a good yep. bulwark against asadia as well. And yeah, having a good prayer life, I think, is probably essential to that. But I think understanding the mapping of your soul and what you seek, because I think too many people have an interior tension with themselves of not understanding that the love that drives you to uh, love a beautiful woman as the same love that actually is driving you towards God, right? Chesterton said the guy that's knocking on the door of the whorehouse is actually seeking God. Right, yeah. Right? And so I think the problem is that a lot of men have a deep tension in themselves, not realizing what ends up happening is you need to reorient your arrows. You don't need to suppress it. You actually need to reorient towards mm-hmm. higher beauties, which I think is the main thesis of St. Augustine's Confessions. Yeah. Very so, good. H- how can they? Uh, where do they go to read the article that you wrote again? Uh, so that was written on the Josias. There are not a lot of articles that have talked about people being fat sold. Um, I bet if you Google fat souls, yeah, fat souls, the Josias. Uh, I think it, it pops right up. I've shared it on X or Twitter uh, multiple times. You can find me on there as well. And then also, you know, a lot of these conversations I think are uh, also taken up on Ascend, the Great Books podcast. Um, and so you can look us up there as well mm-hmm. as we kind of move through Homer, because all these things ultimately are, are trying to push us towards what does it actually mean to be an excellent human? What does it actually mean uh, to live a good life? It's always a blast to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you, Thank guys. You. I Thank appreciate you, you being on. Yep. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. <laughs>